wow, I, I saw this coming. I saw that we we're going to be looking at the betrayal of Peter on Mother's Day. Great planning, Pastor Dave. Um, but I hope, I hope I can be faithful to the call of God in this word. And I think that you may find that maybe, just maybe, God intended that for us today. But let's pick up the story we saw just a few moments ago. This amazing um, brashness. <laughs> Karen's waving at me in the back. Shut up and release the children. Okay. I speak Karen. Can you tell? Uh, children, if you would like to join other children for a very special time uh, of worship, um, your friends are meeting in the back of the sanctuary, and you are going to have a blast. We will see you uh, at the conclusion of our service. Uh, children are going to bring a very special gift for us today. So have an amazing time in Jesus' name. Lord, bless these children, would you, as they open your word. Um, Lord, speak to them in words that they can understand. Bless Karen and the other teachers as they impart the very word of God to our children. We'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few moments ago, we reminded ourselves of that night in which Jesus was betrayed. And Peter, despite his brashness of saying, I will never deny you, right, just moments later, just moments later, an innocent servant girl comes up and says, um, weren't you with? And he says, no, no, I'm not one of his followers, right? Another comes along a few minutes later and says, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you know, it gets emphatic, right? No, I don't know the man, right? Wow. Still a third comes and says, now you have a Galilean accent. I know you were with them. And he starts cussing. Yeah, Peter could cuss up. He was a fisherman, right? He could cuss up a storm. They lie about the fish. They cuss, right? And so um, Peter starts bringing down condemnation on himself and says emphatically, I don't know the man. Press pause with me just for a second because, because remember our memory verse from several weeks ago? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, right? Wow. Here's where we understand what that is. I don't know me, right? If you're out there and you're going, I'm not really following everything that's going on here this morning, that's okay. None of us really knows ourselves, right? The good, the good that can come out of our lives, right? Also, the, the opportunities for failure, right? So what's so critical for us right now is not that we trust in what we know about ourselves, but what, we, but what Jesus knows about us, right? And to that end, we're going to go pick up the story now from John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. Turn with me to, to verse 15. We're going to read a little farther here, and I hope to get to it all, but if not, I trust in your small groups that you'll be able to do that. John 21, beginning at verse 15. So you'll remember last week that... Um, Jesus had sent them up to Galilee, but when they got there, they did not see him. And we saw last week in the beginning of John 21 that Peter, after a while, says, I don't know, what do you want to do? I'm going fishing, right? 
And the guy who was called while he was fishing to fish for people instead went back to fishing for fish. And then that phenomenal sequence of events, more so than even we were able to touch on last week, Jesus point by point went back and reminded the disciples of all the experiences, many of the experiences that they had had together. Phenomenal. And, and we, we anchored ourselves uh, last week in the beauty of remembering, right? When, when all else is, is falling apart, when everything else in our life is being dismembered, then, then Jesus calls us to remember, to put it back together based not on our experience, but on what he has said is true. And so, so um, at verse 15, we pick up that story. Jesus is on the shore. He has cooked them in an, in an amazing act of remembering the multiplication of the bread and the fish. Uh, he has cooked over a charcoal fire in an amazing remembrance of Peter's very betrayal. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus now says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, just take a note for a second there and recognize that Jesus had changed his name, right? Jesus had changed his name to Simon Peter, but he does not call him that here. Here he says, Simon, son of John, the same words he used when he first called Peter from darkness to light. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the immediate question comes to our minds, who are the these here? And and it's not simple. I was looking for Jordan. I consulted our Greek expert here. and, And in the original Greek, that word these has uh, can be either masculine or or feminine or neuter, but in this particular case, the spelling of it, you don't know whether it's masculine or neuter. Is he talking about these other disciples? Do you love me, Peter, more than these other disciples? Or is he talking? Is it is it is it neuter? Not being masculine. Is he talking about the fish? Um, do you love me more than this? Life, Do you love me more than your profession, Peter? The only way we can know is by following the story, right? Do you love me more than these, Peter? He said to him. Peter responds, yes, Lord. You know, and he uses a very particular word right there for, for omniscience, for for intellectual understanding, you know the facts, Jesus. You, it is a fact that I love you. And I'm going to show my colors here. I believe he's talking about the fish. I love you more than fishing, right? You know that. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. In other words, make sure, it's a stronger word than that, make sure my lambs, the most vulnerable ones among you, are fed, Peter. Wow. Wow. If Peter thought that somehow his sin had disqualified him from the purposes of God, then then Jesus seems to be saying something different. And Jesus says to him a second time, Simon, son of John... Do you love me? 
And Peter says to him, yes, Lord. And he says it again. You are omniscient. You know everything. You know that I love you. And he says now, shepherd, it's translated tend in the ESV, shepherd now all my sheep, not just the lambs. Wow. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now watch this. We'll come back to this, but he's getting, Peter's getting very agitated, right? How many times did Jesus deny that he ever knew Jesus? How many times? Three times, right? And the third time, Jesus comes back and asks him, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. He affirms again what he said twice already. You have, you have, you're omniscient. You understand every fact. You know truth. You know that I love you. But when that second time when he says that now, he uses a different word. He uses the word gnosko. In, in Greek, it implies now experiential knowledge, not just intellectual assent to truth. You have experienced, Jesus, that I love you. And Jesus says to him a third time, feed, now make sure, Peter, my sheep are fed. Oh my goodness. It gets, it gets serious. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And in the midst of the fog of that cryptic saying, John helps us. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Isn't that where we began so many weeks ago? Follow me. The very word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Take the words of my mouth, would you? And, and God, the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be a sweet offering to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. I'm bearing the weight of so much powerful truth. So I do beg you, um, make yourself notes as we go along. If something doesn't make sense to you, search it out. Bring it up in your small group. Um, explore the Word of God. There is a treasure here, beloved. It's fitting that there's treasure in God's Word today because there's treasure in the room today. The women that God has placed in our lives to reveal to us the love of God. Right? We know that God loves us. He became flesh. He walked among us. But sometimes we need to see love with flesh on. Sometimes we need that aspect of God that can only be revealed through a woman in our lives as well. But I want to I just ask us 
today the same question that, that Jesus asked Peter. Do we love God? Do we love God? I'm thinking that you're like me right now. Your mind is, is spinning a little bit and, and you're thinking, I, I think I do. Um, your question is, is making me uh, wonder, right? And probably exactly the same thing that Peter went through when Jesus did it. But I want to ask a second question, set the table with a second question as well. How do we know? How do we really know that we love God, right? Because to be honest, we use the word love a little flippantly, don't we? Don't we? I mean, I love God. I love my wife. I love my children, several of them here. I love my grandchildren, right? You starting to catch me here? I love my car. I love my favorite basketball team. I'm using the same word for all of that. I got a problem, don't I? Right? I have one word to describe a range of affections that are that are quite different. I love God, but I love my wife in a different way. I love you, my brothers and sisters, in even a different way, right? I wanna I wanna suggest to you that that our impoverished vocabulary, right, betrays something about us, right? First, that we don't really understand love. And secondly, that, that maybe we don't experience love, either in the receiving or the giving. Wow. What am I talking about? I understand that for most skiers in North America... <laughs> choosing my location really carefully here, there's somewhere between five to seven words for snow, right? Somewhere to be between five to seven words for snow. Words like packed snow, right? Powder, we've heard that one before. Crusty, only skiers know that one, right? Corn, only skiers know. Gropple, only skiers know that one. Slushy, we know that one. Sleet, we know that one, right? We, we have a very limited vocabulary for snow, right? But did you know that Eskimos, the Inuit people, had over a hundred words for snow? A hundred words for snow. Why is that? Why is it? Be- because they lived in it, right? They, they lived snow 20 Four, seven. They could they could define a very fine distinction between one type of snow or another, right? Eskimos experience snow on a regular basis, so they understand it, right? So think about the word love with me. Again, we have one word to describe the full range of emotions and commitments that come with. Love, as I have already confessed, it betrays something about my understanding. It betrays something about my experience of love that I don't have words to describe it, right? Praise God, um, the people of Jesus' day were not so limited. As many of you already know, the Greeks had at least five words for love, right? And and I'm, I'm going to try and make a case today that Jesus really defined one of them. 
Now, it's tempting as we start to think about Greek words for love, right, to, to, to think that somehow there's different levels of love and one is more important than another. But I, I just want to suggest to you that, that the Greek doesn't do that. Every kind of love in the New Testament is a gift of God in itself. Every kind of love is important in its own right. So, so what are we talking about? I, I tried to get the Greek font to come up on the, on the thing, and it would not do it. It would not have it. So I just kind of transliterated the words for you. There is a word in Greek called storge. Storge. That was a term for familial love, right? The love that happens in a family. I love my family in a different way than I love other people. But they had another word, phileo. Phileo, and a whole family of words around phileo. You remember that Philadelphia means the city of, help me, brotherly love. Phileo is is this term for brotherly love. Now, I heard Mike's voice over there, his deep voice, when I asked that question. And, and Mike and I go pretty far back, and we um, beat each other up in the racquetball court for many, many years. I love Mike in a different way then I love my family, but it's not any less. It's, it's just different. It is phileo. It is brotherly love. I think we call each other that all the time. My brother. My brother, right? So it, it's the love of a man for another man. It's the love of a woman for another woman. It, it is this brotherly and sisterly love that is beautiful in and of its own right. There's a word you might not be quite as familiar, epithumia. Epithumia refers to this strong desire or passion, and it can be used. It can be used positively. Jesus just used it on Monday, Thursday, when he said, "I, I passionately want to eat this meal with you because I won't eat it again until we share it together in glory." It can be a very passionate thing, a very positive thing, or it can be used negatively. The same word is translated lust several places. And, and when it's out of bounds in a physical relationship, that same word comes into play, right? But, but again, it's not less or more. It's just another gift of God for us. There's yet another word, eros. You've heard that word many times. Uh, basically, uh, oversimplifying it, it's romantic love, right? But I'm going to go a little deeper. This is a... This is a love for what the beholder finds beautiful in another. So far, so good, right? But oftentimes, then, eros includes a desire to possess that which is beautiful, to own it, to have it, right? And, and, and there's where it can get out of bounds. The Greek idea went far beyond physical attraction between a man and a woman and extended to being even lost in passion. And again, eros itself is not evil all by itself. It can be very good. The Song of Solomon, that book we never study in church, right? The Song of Solomon extols the beauty of eros being expressed through a man and a wife together. It is a beautiful thing. But that brings us now to another word that was that was in existence in the New Testament, but which Jesus transformed and 
defined. It's the verb, uh, the, the word agape, right? Have you heard that word before? Agape. And, and originally for the Greeks, it carried the idea of a free and decisive act determined by the subject. In other words, almost, it was almost uh, oversimplifying a, a, a preference, right? And it had little emotion in that context. But Jesus transformed this, right? One of the best ways to describe the meaning of agape and this whole word group in Christian usage is, is to contrast it to eros, right? Whereas eros is a love by one person based on what he or she finds beautiful and desirable, agape is a love given irrespective to and even in spite of the merit of the one loved. I know that's a lot of words, right? One de- desires for itself and your, your love is dependent on being able to get it for yourself. Well, the other one loves recklessly for the sake of the one loved, right? Agape is a love that seeks to give of itself. Now, I want to say in our study here, and many of you are very familiar with this study, um, we're going to contrast the words um, agape and phileo. We're going to contrast uh, this sacrificial love with brotherly love, right? And, and we're going to see that it was a critical part of what Jesus was doing. And I want, I want to say anytime you, um, anytime you take a risk and try and understand the Word of God, you're going to find 15 different opinions out there. And some, many even, have said, well, you know what? Um, phileo and agape are interchangeable. And I understand why they go there, because uh, most of us diminish the beauty and power of brotherly love. And, and, and if you've not ever been in that situation where you genuinely experience um, brotherly or sisterly love, then it would be easy to do. It would be easy to say it's just a synonym for sacrificial love. But I'm going to go out on a limb, and that's not much of a limb at all. I'm going to say Jesus was very intentional. How many times have we said it? Not a word of God is wasted, right? Jesus is very intentional in what he says. Can you hear the difference between the word agape and phileo? Especially with the way I'm butchering them, right? You clearly hear a difference, right? I'm going to believe that there is a beauty and a truth for us even in that difference. What am I talking about? Let's, let's explore this together, right? Jesus defined agape love. He said it this way in our memory verse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his. And then there's that word, right? And one of the reasons I believe that Jesus is very intentional in contrasting brotherly love and sacrificial love is because um, he uses both in this definition of agape. He says, he says in John 15, uh, 13, right? Greater agape has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his, and he uses a related word to phileo, that someone laid down his life for his brothers. In other words, the epitome of agape love is sacrifice, is giving yourself up 
for the blessing and benefit of the other. This, this, brothers and sisters, is the love that God has for us, right? This is why He sent Jesus as our substitute and sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He goes into that deeply in Romans chapter 5. This is the love that we're commanded to have for God and for others. In Luke 10, it's the love that husbands are commanded to have for their wives so that they give of themselves for her benefit as a picture of Jesus' love for the church rather than seeking just what they can get from Ephesians 5. This is the love by which all men will know that we are Jesus' disciples or not, right? John 13. This is the love that Jesus spoke of just one chapter later in John 14. He says, if anyone agapes me, he or she will keep my word. And beloved, this is the question that Jesus is asking Peter right now. So why, why this Greek lesson right here, right? Because Peter, like me, maybe like you, has a, prom- has a problem. He promised Jesus that he would love him even unto death, and he failed, right? Spectacularly, he failed. And here's the real danger. Peter is in grave danger of being defined by his failure rather than by his Savior. He's in danger of being defined by his failure rather than the truth, rather than the love that God had for him in giving him Jesus. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus gently takes Peter back to the point of his greatest failure to remind him of his greatest calling. Let me say that again. Jesus gently takes Peter back to the point of his greatest failure to remind him of his greatest calling. I don't have time, but I just can't imagine what Peter was going right there. You know, for other disciples, they're overjoyed to see Jesus again. I'm not sure that that was true for Peter, right? Because because the last thing that he had done was denied that he ever knew Peter, or excuse me, knew Jesus. And we've seen already that Jesus went out of his way in an unrecorded interaction to personally meet with Peter. We've seen in John uh, at, on, on Resurrection Day that, that Jesus appeared to all 11 of the disciples. A week later, he appeared, or 10 of them, a week later, he appeared to all 11. He has revealed himself several times to his disciples, but still, Peter Peter is oppressed by this knowledge that in the moment when it counted, he failed Jesus. So Jesus, three failures, Jesus comes to him and and says to him, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, do you love me with a sacrificial love? And you cannot tell in English scripture, but Peter responds differently. Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileoed you. I'm going to go back to Mike here for just a second because I said I love Mike with a brotherly love, right? Um, And I like to think 
I'd like to think that if Mike's life was in danger, that I would freely give of my life. But you know what would come into my mind right then? My, my wife, my kids, and all other kinds of complications, right? But do not mess with my kids. Just telling you. Just saying, right? Um, we're going to go to bat. We're going to go to war, you know, right? In fact, that's one of my greatest challenges. God, do I love you so much to entrust my kids to you? Even if your purposes, Jesus, are different. Good night. Right? I don't know. I'd like to think that I'd have that kind of love for Jesus. But, but it is that clear. Peter, Jesus says, do you love me to the point of death? And, and Peter responds, I've made that mistake once before. You know. You were there. Luke says, he, Jesus looked up right at the third time he denied him and they met eyes. And Peter wept bitterly, right? You know, Jesus. And in spite of his inability to say yes, in spite of his inability to say, yes, Jesus, I love you with sacrificial love, Jesus says, excuse me, I'm running out of time, get back into the game. Jesus says, make sure my most vulnerable ones are fed, Peter, right? He recommissions him. Then he comes back again. Three denials, three questions. Peter, do you agape me? you got to imagine that it's like rubbing his nose in it, right? You can hear the difference between agape and phileo. you got to imagine that Peter is distressed. Yes, Lord, you know. I phileo you. I cannot go there, Jesus. I hate myself. And this is Dave now speaking for Peter. For my betraying you. I cannot go there again. You, you are omniscient, Jesus. You know this. Jesus says, shepherd all my sheep. Wow. Commission keeps getting bigger, right? He comes to him the third time. <laughs> do you see why he's getting so distressed? And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you phileo me? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what is happening? The third time he doesn't say agape. He doesn't say, he says, do you phileo me? And, and Peter adds that, Lord, not only do you intellectually understand everything, you are omniscient, but you have experienced me. You gnosko me. You, you know I love you with brotherly love. Okay, game ender, right? He failed the test. No, no. Make sure every single one of my sheep is fed, Peter. Get back into the game. Worship team, come on up, would you? Let's pick up speed here just a, just a second. Do you see what he's doing? Jesus is taking Peter back to the point of his failure because to remind him of his greatest calling. You're going to fish for fish, Peter. And I trust you, Peter. It's not about your failure, Peter. It's about my faithfulness. It's about my faithfulness. 
And what I'm trying to draw from that third question is that Jesus meets Peter where he is. Isn't that beautiful? Kathy, if your love for Jesus has fallen short, it would be really easy to, to live in guilt and condemnation. But know this for certain, that Jesus meets you exactly where you are and, and loves you where you are. Did you hear me, beloved? Jesus loves you where you are. But he's going to engage you. He's going to grow you. He loves you so much. He's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to invite you into the greatest, most grand adventure you could ever conceive of. I'm out of time, but Jesus tells Peter that you will love me. That is a portrayal. I have used this so many times with, I was about to say older people, and now I are one, right? <laughs> But, but hey, Jesus says, when you're old, people will take you by the hands and lead you where you don't want to go. Right? I've been trying to do that with my dad for weeks. Right? And my dad's stronger than me. <laughs> um, uh, wow. But Jesus wasn't just talking about trying to set them up for safety or for long-term care. He was talking about how he was going to die. Right? You will spread your hands. That was a visual of crucifixion. Many of you know that by tradition, Peter refused to be crucified right side up. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down, I think, as a direct reflection of the thing we're talking about today. I am not worthy of even being crucified like Jesus, right? Peter got it, right? He he was met by Jesus where he was, but he grew. We're going to see that again in a few weeks as we go to Pentecost together. So how does Peter respond? He's not there yet. He's not at Pentecost yet, right? How does he respond? Jesus just recommissioned him, right? And said two things. You are going to live to an old age. Uh, at that moment, it didn't seem like a possibility, but it was true. You're going to live to an old age, and you are going to die Peter glorifying me. The man who thought he was never, ever going to be able to glorify God again was told by Jesus that he would glorify him. And Peter turns aside and says, but what about him? What about the one who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Remember that race to the tomb, right? A little competition still going on here. How does Peter respond? The same way you or I would. He compares himself to others. Jesus says, none of that. Don't do that. Don't worry about John. You, you follow me, Peter. You follow me. And I think that this might be a struggle that many, certainly young mothers, but probably all mothers and men as well, face today. We compare ourselves to others. And when we do so, Scripture says we are not wise, right? There will always be super mom out there who does motherhood better than you do. You know, just realize that, right? There will always be people who struggle more than you do. Your worth is not dependent on how you compare to other mothers around you. Do you understand this? Ladies, you are precious in God's sight, in and of yourself. He created you. He formed you. He died for you. He will raise you up. You are precious to God by yourself. Comparing? 
Comparing is the enemy of calling. It's an enemy. I said the in your notes. It is an enemy of calling. Negatively, when you compare yourself negatively, but especially positively. When you think, if God grades on a curve, I'm in, right? I'm in. As long as I'm a little more loving than someone else, I'll be okay. Beloved, you cannot Compare yourself to anyone else. Do you remember, um, we sang it just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? Though none go with me. I'm not going to compare myself to anybody else. I'm going to trust in Christ's call for me. So three quick takeaways from Peter's encounter, right? A life that is truly restored, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing with Peter here, is compelled by the love of Christ, right? Not for your love, the ability you have to love. It's compelled by the love of Christ for you. But know this for certain. God is calling you to agape love. It is characterized by sacrifice for Christ. Finally, it is content. With following Christ. It is enough, beloved, to just follow Jesus. So how are you doing? How, how are we doing as a church? Do you remember Revelation 2, 4? Jesus was speaking at the end of the world or end of time to the church at, at Ephesus. And he says, you're doing many things well, Dave's translation. But I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. Do you, beloved, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is your life defined by your failures? Or is your life defined by your Savior and His love for you? Would you, would you like to be restored? Am I the only one in the room? Would, would you like to be restored? It's not your failures or sin, right, that hinders your calling. It's our response to it. John put it this way. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Beloved, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't have to earn it. It is a free gift of God for you because He agapes you. Because He loves you. 